Happy New Year, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Ask Dr. Jessica. I'm your host, Dr. Jessica Hockman. In this week's episode, my guest is the amazing Dr. Nina Shapiro. Dr. Shapiro is very impressive, to say the least. She is the director of pediatric ENT at UCLA. She's a graduate from Cornell University and finished Harvard Medical School, and she has had quite the media presence throughout her career. She's a regular guest on the show, The Doctors, and her work has also been featured in the LA Times, NPR, and the Wall Street Journal. She recently wrote a book meant for children to read so that children can actually understand why it's important to be healthy. I read it. It's great. And we talk all about it in this week's episode. So stay tuned. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would be so grateful if you would share it and leave a five-star review. Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of Ask Dr. Jessica. I'm super excited. We have a phenomenal guest, Dr. Nina Shapiro. She is an ENT at UCLA, and she was also my attending when I was a resident signed to be a pediatrician. Hi, Nina. Hi, Jessica. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you here. Um, I cannot wait to get into um, what you're here to talk about, which is the new book that you released. Um, I have a copy right here. The Ultimate Kids Guide to Being Super Healthy. I'm so excited to talk to you about your book. Um, and you've also written another book recently, um, Hype. Yes. You're so impressive and prolific. <laughs> Thank you. So book writing, I feel, is um, it's sort of, ba- especially for, for doctors, a lot of the book writing that we do is, is we really feel compelled to do it. So it's not like, oh, let me think of something to write a book about. This is more like, I need to do this. I need to say this and put it down to paper. So Hype was definitely that. That came out in 2018. And that was about medical myth busting. Um, And there are more medical myths now magnified than there were in 2018. But, you know, the basis is still the same. It's, you know, the hyperbole of how we're hearing things on social media, even in mainstream media, and how can healthcare workers as well as non-healthcare professionals decipher all of the nonsense that we're hearing on a minute to minute basis. So that was a really fun book that I felt like I needed to do. Um, And then this new one, which is the ultimate kids guide to being super healthy was also something I felt that especially around pandemic, kids were really getting the short shrift of all of the health information that we were incorporating and panicking about and, you know, not really giving our kids the full story. And it made me think that, well, what about other things that are, you know, not pandemic related that we're not necessarily telling our kids in a way that is understandable and usable for, you know, even elementary school kids. So this was That's a really amazing. fun one to do. Yeah. That's amazing. It's so impressive that you're inspired and that you actually act on your inspiration and, and actually finish a book. <laughs> thanks. Thanks. Um, so I know that hype was written a few years ago, but I, I love this concept that you debunked medical myths because there are so many. Um, would you mind sharing maybe a couple of your favorite medical myths um, and, 
that you debunked in your book? Sure. So in hype, you know, some of the, actually there was a whole section devoted to vaccines. This was before any COVID vaccine, any COVID infection was known. So a lot of vaccine myths uh, were out there as, you know, many of us know, mostly related to children. So, you know, the vaccines can cause the illness, you know, that was, that was sort of brought into COVID vaccines as well, that if you get a COVID vaccine, you're going to spread the COVID virus and that you're going to get COVID um, and that was a similar myth for all the other vaccines of childhood, um, that they were somehow harmful to the immune system in children. So a lot of these myths, you know, are, you know, evergreen. They continue into present day. And then there were other yes. things like drinking water. You know, you have to drink eight glasses of water per day. Um, no. So food that you eat has a lot of water in it. Um, almost all foods have water. So you don't need to drink eight glasses of water per day. So that's, that's a fun, easy myth that, um, it's easy to just say you don't have to do it. That that's a fantastic myth because so many people I talk to they'll be they'll be on a diet and they they feel like they have to drink two liters of water a day, yeah. um, and you can even do harm if you drink too much water. You can, right? you can something called, I mean, thankfully it's pretty rare, but you know, something called hyponatremia where your sodium goes dangerously low. Um, that's occasionally right. seen in, um, athletes actually, because they are rehydrating with plain water and that's potentially pretty dangerous. Um, in like that the marathon sense. runners. Exactly. Exactly. It's always a story of hyponatremia. Exactly. Um, Careful. that's a great myth. And any other ones or so vaccines, water, um, I think, you know, I, some of the other ones that I think are, are, you know, just general life things had to do with risk. I find risk very interesting. You know, I'm a surgeon, yes. so I deal with risk benefits every day. Um, pretty much all of us in medicine are always sort of explaining the risks and benefits uh, to patients about any sort of intervention. Um, but I find that the way people interpret risk is very interesting and, you know, how to sort of reframe that. Um, Absolutely. You know, risks of cancer, risks of of, you know, other sorts of injuries that people get, you know, people sort of lose sight of the very basic boring stuff. We need to stay healthy and stay safe, you know, wear your seatbelt, don't smoke cigarettes, um, stay out of the sun. I'm bad about that. Um, but, you know, in general, I think I find that really interesting that the way people sort of frame risk. Um, so there, you know, there are several chapters devoted to that um, as well. I know after uh, my husband read your book, he was inspired to go in the sun. And he usually, you know, he's from the East Coast and he he always thought sun was a bad thing. And after he read your book, I did notice that he was not as... Uh, reluctant to be in the sun. So thank you, actually. Oh, I don't know. I mean, that was sort of, you know, that that's my vice, I would say, um, where, you know, I know that it's not that good for you. It's not good for you. Uh, but it's something that, you know, I, it's hard for me to, to avoid. So well, everything in moderation, right? Yeah, you get exactly. the vitamin D benefits and you exactly. feel good. Exactly. Yeah. So, so I, I think I happen to agree with you. I think a little sun is, is good for the mental health. Exactly. Um, okay, so so now to talk about um, the book that you just released, um, I think it is a brilliant concept because I think um, the way you are able to give information to parents and kids about medical, um, you know, medical topics, I think is so helpful because I find so many kids are always asking why, 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 and your book really answers the why. It, thank you. Well, you know, I try to, you know, so the voice is written for children. 
But obviously there's a lot of information that I think a lot of adults may not know. And so I try to weave it in in using child-friendly language, but you know, where the adults may be, you know, reading it with their children or leaning over their child's shoulder or borrowing the book and say, hmm, let me let me learn about that as well. Um, and, and I think that, you know, we really need to arm our children with facts. It's really, really, um, we do it in our office all the all day. We don't even realize that we're doing it when we're explaining what we're doing to children, um, for children. Um, but I think that, you know, just on a daily basis, they deserve to know why they, they need to stay, stay healthy and what they need to do and what those things are for them, how it's working for them, as opposed to just all of this stuff that we're telling them to do, which just seems to them to be orders. I thought we could maybe go through some of the chapters um, so people listening can hear what kind of actionable um, advice that you're giving. Um, I really, so to start, I really like the chapter about eating healthy. Um, and I'll tell you, I even used some of your advice with my daughter yesterday. Did it work? <laughs> it did work. Okay. So, <laughs> so I don't know if, if um, do you want to explain the premise of that chapter? And then I'll give my example. Sure. So the chapter, is, which is called Why Can't We Have Cookies for Dinner, um, was actually initially the working title of the book. Um, and I wrote that chapter after um, rewatching the uh, documentary Fed Up. And I don't know if you've seen it. Um, I recommend it. It was many years ago that it came out. And then the notion was really that a lot of the poor health that we're seeing in young children is due to what they're given at school and what they have at home as far as nutrition. So many schools in many parts of the country, five days a week in the cafeteria will be literally a fast food chain will be. So one day's McDonald's, one day's Pizza Hut, one day's Burger King. And for most kids, their eyes light up like that. I want to go to that school. That sounds like a great place to go. But right. in this movie, they explain very simply, and it, you know, it's a movie for adults. Here's what happened when you here's what happens when you eat food. Here's the the mechanism of digestion and nutrition and metabolism. Here it is. Here's how it works take it or leave it. And so I thought, oh, why can't, you know, if we can explain that to adults on a very basic level, why can't we explain that to a seven-year-old? And Brilliant. And they can understand. And, you know, it's not good or bad, but this is what it is. Here's what happens when you eat bread. Here's what happens when you eat an orange. Here's what happens when you drink orange juice. And here's why these things are different. And here's what happens when you eat something that is high protein, high fiber, you know, low carbohydrate without saying, you know, low carb or carbs are bad. I mean, th that's crazy right. to talk like that, especially to children. Um, but just, right. you know, here, here are the different things that happen in your digestion. I mean, most kids, you know, they like food if it tastes good. They don't like it if it doesn't taste good. They're, you know, when their tummy is empty, they're hungry. And that's basically it. You know, they know about peeing and pooping by, you know, by the time they're three or four years old, but they don't really know what happens in between. And it's a good point. Yeah. So I used your book yesterday with my daughter. She was, we were going to gymnastics and she asked if she could have a granola bar and I'd already made dinner. There was salmon and broccoli on the table and a sweet potato. And she asked for a granola bar. And I said, you know, that's, I said, why don't we first have um, dinner? And, and she said, why, you know, I want this granola bar. And then I used your verbiage. I said, 
Um, there's more fiber, <laughs> more fiber in the broccoli the and there's more daughter. protein in the salmon. I know. And I said, it, your digestion will be slower and your body will have energy that lasts longer and you'll be better at gymnastics. You'll have and? more energy for the whole class. And she, she actually, she listened and we, you know, she didn't forget about the granola bar. She still asked for it afterwards, but she did, um, you know, I could see that the information was soaking in and she did have dinner first without fighting, which I think Great. Uh, was I a win. And, and I give your book the credit. Happy to hear it. Or if you say, well, this granola bar is actually a cookie, which it really is. Right. right. Then you can say, so think of it as a cookie. And so when would you have a cookie? Would you have it before dinner or would you have it after dinner? Would you have it instead of dinner? Um, so, but good, good job. Good job. Mom. No, I, I think it's, I think what's so helpful is, you know, one thing I talk to parents so much at work about um, is, is frustration about children being picky eaters and they, they're not eating the, the foods that parents want them to eat. And there's a battle over eating healthy foods and what I like about explaining to kids, um, it's just so much better when they make the decision on their own. You know, right. if if, yeah. if we're pushing them too much and you're battling at home, that doesn't feel good. No. And that's really with everything, as we see. Um, yes. You know, going to sleep, yes. when screens, you know, everything. If they are part of the conversation and part of the process, um, it will make for a lot more peace uh, in the household. Can you explain how you, I love when you get into the sleep cycles and, and explaining why dreaming is important. Um, yeah. So I think for the sleep and, and also, especially if you have more than one child and obviously if they're different ages and, and if they have two or three different bedtimes, uh, there's probably a little bit, well, no fair. Why did they get to stay up later? Um, when we all wake up at the same time in the morning, um, how come I have to go to bed, you know, before they go to bed? Um, and so I really try to reframe it as like, I know, and, and the other thing I try to do for kids is that I know that you feel like it's doing nothing. I know that you feel like you're going to miss out on all the amazing stuff that all the older people are doing. Um, so first to acknowledge that and then to say, well, wait a second, let's talk about sleep because it's not just doing nothing, missing out on everything, um, you know, sort of being sequestered away from all the great stuff. Um, to say, well, let's talk about what does go on during your sleep to see how amazing it is and all the great things that go on. And can you tell me, you know, so for people listening, if they're talking to their children about this, what, what good things do happen when we sleep? So a lot of things happen when they sleep. One of the great things is that they get to dream. And most kids, by the time, you know, they're certainly in elementary school, they can probably remember one or two dreams they've had, or maybe even more. And, and sometimes they're scary, or sometimes they're adventure, and sometimes they're just like these crazy, surreal things. Um, but to explain that, you know, you, it takes a few hours or an hour and a half to two hours of several stages of sleep to get to that dream part. And that's the really important part, as cool as it is, it also is the time when your brain is resting, your brain is sort of forming memories, and your brain cells are growing. Um, but you need to have that several times, ideally five times each night as a child, to get good growth of your brain and to get good memories to form. So that five, you know, that needs to take place five times and it's every two hours or so that's about 10 hours of sleep so that's a really cool thing that happens but you can't just 
have all these dreams, if you go to bed really late and wake up really early, you're not going to get enough dreams that you really need um, to have your brain grow and be strong. And then all the other things about like your muscles and your heart and your lungs need to rest because you're really yes. active during the day and you want to do good in sport, do well in sports and do well in school. And all those things need a little bit of a break, a little sort of reboot, recharge, it's just like charging your screen. Um, you need to charge yourself to, I hate to use the screen analogy, but they can relate to that analogy. You know, you need to sort of recharge yourself to have a good day uh, the next day. It's true. And, and I like you pointed this out um, that there's benefits, tremendous benefits the next day. You're much less cranky. You're in a better mood. You have a better day. And that's the truth. I know for myself as an adult, it makes Everywhere. all the difference if you get a good night's sleep. Yeah. And it's also, I think kids, you know, then I always try to think, oh, how, are, how is your child going to push back? Well, okay, I'll go to bed early tomorrow, but tonight I want to stay up late. Um, and I think just to sort of emphasize that it's not, it's not something you can catch up on. You can't just sort of get one really good night of sleep every week or two, and then, you know, just not take care of it the next, you know, the rest of the time. It has to be something that you do all the time. Right. I like how you uh, busted that myth in the book that there's no such thing as catching up on sleep. Right. Unfortunately, <laughs> I wish. <laughs> I, and I also like, um, I say this to kids a lot, that your growth hormone is the highest when you're sleeping because right. a lot of kids are motivated to, to grow bigger. So if you say, if you get some sleep, you'll actually have, you know, the highest amounts of growth hormone that will help you grow. That right. can be a motivator. Sure. You know, and then they've said, you know, people will say to them like, oh, did you grow overnight? And maybe they can say, <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> um, no, that's that's wonderful because sleep is something that I think all of us intuitively know is important, but it's so helpful to think about the why. Right, right. Um, now, as far as exercise, I think that's a great chapter as well because um, I like really where you put I really like the part where you mentioned that exercise should be enjoyable. I really like how you mentioned that exercise yeah. should be enjoyable and fun yeah. and that it's not one size fits all for everybody. Right. And I think, you know, frankly, for most children, we don't have to tell them to exercise. They, they're natural movers. You know, if anything, we need to tell them to, to sit still and, you know, stop <laughs> right. moving a little bit, um, which right. is great. Um, but, you know, I think especially, you know, during pandemic and especially now that screens are really, you know, dominating everything, even the most active kids are drawn to their screens. And so, you know, we are battling, pulling them away um, and asking them, not asking them, but, you know, hoping that they will, you know, go outside or even exercise indoors if you live in an area where the weather is not great. Um, but just to find something. And I think, I think a lot of kids, you know, depending on where they live or what their peer group is, they feel pressure that they have to be good at sports. You know, this one is the best soccer player. This one is the best baseball player, tennis player down the line. And I think just to, you know, to emphasize to kids that you don't have to really be good at any sport. You just have to find something that you like, and then you'll probably get much better at it, but not to feel right. that pressure of like, all my friends are, you know, these great soccer players, and I'm just really not a natural soccer player. And I, frankly, I don't really like it. Um, so find something else. There, There's so many sports that, you know, or even sort of out of the box sports, you know, there's 
fencing and there's karate and there are these other things that are great exercise, hiking, you know, and certainly in places like Southern California that are great sports that are not necessarily sort of the standard what you think of um, that so many kids do. It's so true. And I know you mentioned swimming in your book, which I, something that I enjoy doing. Yeah. There's so many, there's so many ways to exercise and move your body. And I like that you point out that there's no best exercise. There's Um, no best exercise. And also speaking, I just want to mention for swimming, I do talk about this in the book as well, that I think that swimming is a necessary skill um, that all children should have like it or not. I think it's a safety thing. So I, I, I give a little bit of a blurb about like, you got to learn to swim because you know, there's a lot of water in this world and you don't have, you know, if you don't live near a swimming pool or you don't live near an ocean, um, you know, you will be exposed to water at some point and, and just for safety, um, it's important to learn to swim. Um, and then, you know, most kids like it once they learn. Personally, I ran cross country in high school because I wanted to do a sport and you didn't have to try out for cross country. They took everybody and I'm not naturally athletic by any means. I think I was the worst or the second, I should say not the worst, the slowest or the second slowest on the JV team. (laughs) Um, But you always finished. (laughs) I always finished. And I have to say to this day, I still enjoy it. So, and I think that's, to me, I'm so glad that I participated and learned something and I improved from, you know, for my capabilities. Um, so even though I was, uh, never a scoring participant for any of the, the meets, it's, it is something that I enjoy doing. So, yeah, so I agree with that advice. Team. Yeah. And you know, you, you probably retained that skill that you can run as an adult and enjoy it. Um, and so it's the same, just so you know, when your kids get older, cross country usually has no cuts. That's good. So you don't have to be the best, just find something you like. I love it. I love it. Um, now, and then you gave some really good, um, actionable advice that I, I wanted to share with any listeners, um, or touch on, um, that I think would be really helpful. One was giving advice to parents, um, to help children take medication. I thought that was really helpful. Um, I know you had mentioned sweetening the medication. Yeah. I mean, there's... Yeah. So, um, you know, medicine, some kids, it's no big deal, but for a lot of kids, especially if they have to take antibiotics or, you know, medication, uh, you know, certain medications just absolutely taste terrible. Um, and it's not just the taste, it's the consistency and it's the amount and it's the frequency. There's so many different problems with medications, um, that kids don't like, um, and especially their liquids. So, um, you know, I, the first part of the book, I'm talking about how sugar is not so great for you and you metabolize it and it, you know, it kind of gives you this big burst of energy. Um, and then here I am saying like, you know, take a, a tablespoon of sugar with, <laughs> with every, it's okay. um, but a little bit, I think that, you know, I talk about the Mary Poppins, you know, thing about a tea, a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. Um, and that is a real thing. Um, spoiler, that was actually a, a polio, an oral polio vaccine that was given on a sugar cube. And that was the inspiration for that song. Ah. Um, fun fact. So, um, but you know, sometimes a li- you know, if it's a, like used as a chaser, um, that sometimes will in- inspire a child. So, you know, if you take this medicine, you can have this little sweet thing afterwards to kind of get the flavor away. So that's one thing to do. Another really cool thing that I heard about was to to free, and this is probably for older kids, to freeze your taste buds 
um, you know, just chew a little bit of ice chips or, you know, put an ice cube on your tongue and that will kind of numb it. So then you can get the medicine down um, a little more quickly there. You know, there are a bunch of other little tricks, but uh, you know, it's gotta be done. Kids hate it, but you know, try yeah. to make it a little bit of a game or some fun. Um, there was an ENT doctor who actually wrote a paper about um, M&M chasers for antibiotics, um, you know, to give a child one or two M&Ms, you know, not a bag of M&Ms, but just one or two after each dose of antibiotic, you know, certainly harmless as well. Absolutely. Some couple of tricks I usually um, impart to parents. One is to take chocolate syrup. Chocolate syrup mm -hmm. tends to hide the taste and kids mm -hmm. get excited about it. And the other trick I learned is to cover the, the spoonful of medication with some sprinkles. Ooh, and that's fun. Kids will go for that. That's fun. Well, like sharing, sharing our tips. Yeah. Because it can be really stressful for parents when kids refuse medication. So that's a great, it is. that was great advice. Yeah. And it's so easy for us to say as physicians, like here, here's this prescription, take this three times a day for 10 days, maybe four Right. Days. I mean, that's just devastating for, for many families. So uh, it's true. I feel for no, that. I, I have a, my, my oldest child does not like taking medication and it's, it's a struggle. I, I yeah. agree with you. It's easy advice to give and then it's always harder Hard to do to implement. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then I also like the advice that you gave about sleep. I think sleep is such a um, important topic for parents. Um, I love how you talk about, you know, turning off the screens before bed and closing the kitchen um, and reading books before bed. I know that works for me. Reading yeah, books definitely puts, yeah. especially my children's books that I read to my kids puts me right to sleep. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, a lot of these things, like I'm giving advice to children, but at the same time, I'm really giving advice to adults as well. We should all turn our screens <laughs> off. We should not have our screens near our beds at all. Um, even charging, you know, should be charged out of the bedroom. I think, you know, no, no lights or, you know, buzzes going off, um, unless we're on call, obviously for, for work. <laughs> Um, and, you know, and, you know, midnight snacks, you know, all that kind of stuff really applies to adults too, because we're, we are chronically sleep deprived as adults, you know, probably more so than kids. Right. And, and I, it, I, I really appreciated the point you made that if we don't sleep well, our hunger hormones are off and then we are more likely to eat when we're not hungry. And that, you know, that cycle can repeat itself obviously in ways that we don't want. Right, right. It's really, it's, you know, we, as you know, for those of us who remember being residents and, you know, being up all night and then you just, you just kind of eat to stay awake almost. And, you know, it just makes you feel, you get a little burst of energy and then you crash and you feel even worse. Um, but, you know, you, you know, your brain is kind of telling you one thing and, uh, you know, certainly on a regular basis, it's pretty unhealthy. So fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for talking about your book and coming on here. I really think it is a um, must read for parents. I really think not only will parents teach their children a lot about what is healthy, but I also think honestly, as a parent, you'll learn a lot. Thank really a, a wonderful resource. So thank you. Thanks.